0: Welcome to the Bowman Legacies podcast, brought to you in part by Bowman Legacies, making life better for the blue-collar worker, one CEO at a time. Also brought to you by author Grizz Waller, whose new Western sci-fi action thriller novel, Selfish Acts of Righteous Men, is coming out soon. Without any further ado, buckle up, strap in, and get ready for another powerful conversation The Bowman Legacies Podcast,
1: ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, welcome once again to another episode of the Bowman Legacies Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking with Carrie McKay. How's it going? (laughs) Sales manager at Sweetwater, and we're going to get into what Sweetwater is, what Sweetwater does. And we are today going to talk a lot about organizational culture and how we need to be taking care of our people. And we're going to, all three of us today, we're going to talk about uh, some places that didn't go so great for us. And uh, going to have a kind of candid conversation. Also guest today, Eric Excelsior Pio, the myth, the man, the legend.
0: <laughs> Michael Bowman. <laughs> it's a pleasure as always. And you... Always keep it real and entertaining, brother. Yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure Excelsior is not your middle name, but what the mm. hell? I just thought I'd throw it in there. Why
0: not? <laughs> I'll take it. No offense taken, I promise.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, all three of us are a little longer in the tooth, I think, than some of our audience. You know, I was reached out to by a, a universe, a, actually a whole sorority the other day that, that uh, listens to our podcast because they get so encouraged by it. Today's just going to be a little bit different, you know. We've had Benny Shorman on, we've had Tom's Parker on, we've had a lot of people on the podcast, but today we're going to talk about organizational culture and what it actually means. And sometimes I think that people really get confused about the definition of organizational culture, whereas it's typically uh, means you have a beer tap in the office and now all of a sudden you got a great culture, <laughs> Right. right. I, yes. I see the, Yeah, I see the beer tap in the office, and I'm like, someone didn't consider one of their employees as a raging alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So Carrie, you know, you came from a place where the, the culture was really corrosive, and we want to kind of focus on, on that place today. You know, we cannot mention that particular place that went into Chapter 11, but for you, um, when you started with them, considering the place that it was, you were probably pretty excited. Yeah, you know, it was uh, two decades of my life and uh,
2: I was pretty young, you know, when I started out doing that in this industry. And it was great. You know, it was really awesome to be on the uh, growing side of it. Yeah. And, you know, as times change and things evolve, you know, turnover happens, especially at the top level, you know, culture erodes. And it's one of those things that if you're not paying attention to it, man, it slips fast. Yeah. No, it's just a totally different beast altogether.
1: Uh, was it your experience with this? Or and let's first tell our audience what do you do? What do you do for a living, Kerry? <laughs> <laughs>
2: McKay. I do for a living. I think the easiest way to describe what I do is I'm a coach. You know, I work with uh, uh, a group of other sales managers at Sweetwater, and uh, you know, we're about five hundred or so strong with the sales engineers that make up the whole sales team there. And, uh, you know, we, we're all coaching uh, these folks on a daily basis on how to better run their business. But also, I mean, you would be surprised. I helped one, one of the guys the other day get in touch with the mortgage broker hmm. and uh, go through the home buying process for the first time. And there's other folks that, you know, I've helped them with plans on how to get out of debt, how to be responsible with their finances Uh, Just all kinds of things. I've talked to folks about marital problems, you name it, you know, we do that. But the the end result is just continuing to invest in their experience at work so that they're, you know, enjoying themselves first and foremost, but, you know, maintaining a high level of productivity and uh, also being satisfied with what they're doing. So
0: it's a really fun place to be. Now, Carrie, let me let me ask this because you're decently high up there at Sweetwater and um Michael, if you allow me if you uh grant me the privilege of of <laughs> of, of digging a little deeper because uh you know, we live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Right. And <laughs> Fort Wayne, Indiana it, to most people is like where on earth is Fort Wayne, Indiana even though it's the second largest city in Indiana, it doesn't even matter because nobody knows what it is. Uh it is home to Sweetwater Sound, mm-hmm. that is a massive leader in their industry nationwide. Um, elaborate for those individuals that don't know what Sweetwater is, sure, and who they are. Right, a little background, real quick, of where they came from, because this is really important because it builds what we're talking about as far as good healthy culture mm-hmm. in an organization and a business with employees with the bosses with the supervision all of this as well as even good culture towards your clients so right right what uh to to those that don't know what sweetwater is elaborate a little bit
2: sure uh chuck serrac started sweetwater he uh wanted to record music and was having a hard time figuring uh, out where he could do that and uh, so decided to take it on his own early on as a small recording studio out of a VW bus <laughs>
1: Whoa! from oh, there.
2: He, I think the thing that really got things rolling for him was he started to make so many friends from all the recording that he was doing that uh, uh, he was also a major uh, engineer minded tinkerer when it came to electronics and things and started tinkering with Kurzweil uh, keyboards. <laughs> and. Um, He was one of the first guys to figure out how they were programmed and he did some things that even Kurzweil uh, adapted and a lot of artists were wanting to pick up his uh, samples that he was creating for him, that kind of a thing. So they wanted to buy those Kurzweils from him and that turned into, you know, not out of, hey, I think I'm going to become a retailer. It became, I need to do this to take care of my friends. And uh, more and more different lines picked up and, you know, his friends, you know, became a larger and larger pool of people to the point where it was, you know what, this is the right thing to do to take care of everybody that I know. And uh, it seems to be a good experience for folks. So it grew into basically a uh, by phone, I think finger hut catalog back in the day, uh, type of uh, music retail mm-hmm. and, uh, and it just continued to grow, you know, as the internet started to uh, become, you know, a normal thing and boom. You know, Sweetwater's Presence Online just brought that uh, to more people. And uh, Chuck's always built it on, uh, you know, do the right thing and take care of the customer, you know. And uh, he's never, ever uh, preached about, you know, chasing the money. He's like, if we do the right thing, you know, the money will follow. And, uh, you know, really, it's just been an expansion of wanting to take care of his friends. So uh, within that, you know, the music retail industry is not a huge industry overall for uh, music equipment. Um, and, you know, it's, it's pretty wild because, you know, this last year Sweetwater surpassed 1 billion in annual, uh, wow. business, which is insane to think of. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we are, uh, uh, certainly the fastest growing, you know, uh, music retail presence. And uh, I believe, uh, the largest online presence in the United States for sure. And there's no signs of it slowing down. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's been an incredible thing to happen, but it's really just all about, you know, Chuck's vision to continue to do whatever he can to take care of his customers and his friends and uh, make a good experience and always do the right thing.
1: It kind of kills the idea of, you know, there's a difference between, you know, uh, your friends and business or you can't have family in business or, mm-hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> I know that there a lot of evangelicals are going to roast me here, but I <laughs> cannot tell you how many business leaders that I've met in my lifetime there were evangelical Christians, and they were some of the most unscrupulous business people that mm-hmm. I ever met and the most unculturally sound people that I had ever met. And that's not a generalization. I mean, that's almost, that's probably nine out of 10 were some of the worst people. And here's this guy is just saying, hey, I want to take care of my friends and then expanding that in a major way. And that doesn't mean, obviously, you can't underperform or you can't do your job but right. he's willing to put somebody in there like you culturally to help someone with their, you know, their mortgage, right you No, know, or help someone with a <laughs> mortgage broker. So where, where you came from, and, and I know like, for me, I've come from places where, um, the CEO literally said, I look, you know, welcome aboard. I'm going to F you and you're going to F me and that's business. Um, <laughs> wow. yeah, all right, that was that's my introduction. Um,
0: Setting the expectation early, right?
1: Setting the expectation early. At least, at least he was honest with me, though. You know what I mean? I appreciate that because he was absolutely honest with me, and and uh, still uh, consider this guy a really good, a good friend of mine now. But <laughs> you know, when you see these culturally unsound places, and culture, when we talk about culture, really the definition of culture is just like who the Mycenaeans were. They were a culture. They were a seafaring culture. They ate this way. Their religion was thus. And we don't compute in that when we look at it historically, if it was good or bad. And so we, as especially Americans, we love to say, well, this place has a good culture. This place has a bad culture. Well, Eric and I have a mutual friend who um, worked the stock exchange in New York, uh, saw the plane hit on September 11th, saw the second one hit, was literally, literally there at ground zero. Um, has traveled all over the world, part, partied with Motley Crue, has had this crazy, insane life. And one of his jobs for um, where he worked was to schmooze clients all over the world. And he said, I really literally saw the worst of humanity because we're not dealing with hundreds of thousands or millions. We're literally one person we're dealing with billions of their dollars. Yeah. If they wanted to come to New York to party or Paris or wherever they were at. It was heinous. And he hated his job. However, he worked with a guy who loved, did the same thing, (laughs) loved the job, was probably still there today. And both our buddy Tim would probably say it had the worst culture ever. And the other guy said, this is the best culture ever. So culture is truly subjective on on what is a good culture, what is bad culture. What I hate is the dishonesty. And where Uh you came from before Sweetwater was and doing my own homework, and that's not really wanting to dog that place or saying it, but they proved how poor their culture was by one of the things slipping into chapter 11. They got so big, the head didn't know what the tail was doing. What was so for you and being there for so long, what was one of the most corrosive culturally things that you had to deal with all the time that really made you want to make the exodus?
2: Sure. Well, you know, when when you get out of a proactive you know, state and everything's reactive, then essentially uh, people first goes away, you know, and when, especially if you're, you know, running a business and you, you know, are heavily debt laden, uh, essentially you become a slave at that point and you have to serve that debt uh, above your people. So the ability to put the people's needs above uh, just doesn't exist anymore. And so for me, the, the constant identity crisis in a company where, you know, you're changing the motto every year or there's a lot of turnover at the top and everybody's got a different vision of what they want to do just creates uncertainty. And for, you know, it's people, it creates a lot of uh, just, you know, folks get scared because there's no consistency or security with that. And, you know, when you're chasing the carrot every day with the stick coming behind you pretty hard, you know, it turns into a rat race. and um, you know, it's one of those things where if you continue to withdraw from people's emotional bank account without putting deposits back in there, you know, they'll tap out and, you know, the person will bankrupt and they'll spin out and there's where burnout comes from and everything else. And You know, for me, I was in a position where, you know, I just, the the idea of continuing and putting another 20 years into it and it being a place to retire seemed pretty uh it wasn't feasible, you know, the sacrifices that were needed, weren't there, or, or, or at least I wasn't willing to make them. And so because of that, you know, I personally came at a crossroads that, you know what, my values and, and uh, my core beliefs, the things that are important to me are out of alignment with, you know, my employer. And so for me, that was the hard decision that the longer I stayed, the more I believed I would be cancerous to their organization because, you know, just how different I was with uh, what they were doing. Yeah. And so for the people, you know, that were underneath me, you know, uh, despite what I did or didn't agree with, you know, coming down the line, you know, I had a responsibility to them. And so I didn't want them uh, to continue to be part of a mixed message. I owed them more than that. So I felt like the most integral thing I could do was uh, find a way to get out of there.
1: How powerful is that, dude, that like <clears throat> when you think about that, and, and I've been in the same place where you're like, you know what? culturally, our our values here don't align, even though your core values that you did on your culture day or your you know, these mute practices, these pseudo these, um, oh, what do I want to say, placebo practices that they do to people to make them feel engaged and make them feel part of the business, when they're feeding that monster, you are never a part of the question, the, the equation. Mm-hmm. When you're feeding that massive monster of debt, like you said, and you're chasing that carrot, you have to, a lot of the times, make decisions that will never align with those core values. And you may have been aligning with their core values, but they themselves and the organization in its, of itself, that monster, never did. And I think that's one of the things that really disenfranchises a lot of people because they can smell blood in the water. They know when they're just a cog. And they know when people are being insincere. And they also know when they've got a sincere leader who's trying so hard to be empathic, trying so hard to encourage them and actually lead, how they get stifled in those situations. Because you have to be a manager in that moment. You can't be a leader. And for you to be bold enough to say, you know what, my ideals and my view of culture does not align with your views. And it's important for me to get out of the way so you can continue doing what you're doing, but I can find a place right. that aligns to what I want to do. And that's hard, man, especially when you've got a solid. Because you just like you said you, you're looking at a place that I could do another, you know, 20 years and retire or 10 years, 15 years and retire. But you were you were bold enough to be able to venture out. So There is a lot of people in that situation in our lives right now, whether it be at home. You know, some people are in just dead marriages. Some people are in, you know, a dead marriage to an organization. How did you find the boldness? Did you just pull the Band-Aid off, say, I'm gozo? (laughs) For for me, it was was really a, it it took me a couple of years.
2: Uh, There was a major change in ownership. And with that came a major reorg, and in that reorg there was a massive layoff. That was the first uh, major layoff in that company. Mm-hmm. And when it happened, my field, uh, you know, my peers that I worked with, our team got cut almost in half. And uh, you know, they called it Black Wednesday. When, when all the layoff calls happened. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people that were, you know, founding parts of that organization, you know, were dismissed and it was unfortunately the right thing to do. Yes. because They had to serve the debt. They had to make the hard decisions to realign the business and business doesn't have anything to do with emotion yeah. in, in the context of, you know, what's on paper and what's going to make this budget work and everything. Right. So, on that day, you know, I got a phone call that said, congratulations, you've made the cut, you get to keep your job, Mm. you know, and for me, that was just a huge, just punch in the gut, but really more a wake up call. You know, I, I gotta believe that, you know, there's, there's millions of people like me that, you know, they get out of school when they're young and they start working and they start building a career and all they know is what they know and where they've been, Mm -hmm. you know, and for me, you know, starting in your early 20s at a place and giving it 20 years, you know, there's, you, you you get sheltered from what's out there. And so, at that point, you know, for me, that was the wow, you know, should I do the prudent thing and put together a resume and just start to open up options and things like that? So, that's what I did, but it really started that, that shift in my perspective and thinking about the future more. And, um, you know, I quickly found out that, wow, you know, all things considered, I get paid pretty well for what I do, even though there's a lot of stress and grief that goes along with it. And what have you done for me lately? And, you know, all those kind of things, but it certainly got the wheels turning on, you know, are there other avenues out there? And so really over the course of a couple of years, as things continued and culture eroded, you know, when turnover jumps and, you know, there's, there's a higher revolving uh, door of, Managers and leaders, and in in, uh, in any organization, you know it's hard to retain culture, and um, you yeah. know anything you're trying to implement that's going to carry past just what's on paper. And so, as I was seeing those things change, it was just more and more, you know, I've got to make a change. And that whole time, you know, when there's when there's a lot of change like that for me, you know, I'm a husband and a father of three kids. There's even more of a fierce commitment to dig in and hold on and do whatever it takes to make it work you know, as a provider, as a husband and that kind of a thing. And, um, you know, so when I started to see, you know, my marriage, uh, Mm -hmm. struggle, you know, relationship with the kids struggle, you know, when I'm coming home, you know, carrying so much angst and frustration from trying to cope with these, you know, massive changes and, you know, shift in culture, you know, it's a lot. And, you know, my family was suffering for it. So it finally got to the point where I was like, you know what, if I don't do this, I think one of two things were going to happen. I was going to have some sort of a massive breakdown, you know, certainly would die young, you -hmm. know, from, you know, the ages that stress takes off of you or the years that it takes off of you. And then also, um, you know, understanding that, uh, it just, you know, it would end bad with my marriage, with everything else like that. And so, you know, I was like, my wife and I talked and we finally got to the point that, all right, even if we don't have anything lined up, uh, we have enough savings. We have, uh, you know, we made the decision that we had enough, we bought enough time that uh, I could walk away from it to kind of detox for a while. Yeah. And, you know, that was the big change. And honestly, you know, I was so jaded at the time. I really didn't want to have anything to do with the industry anymore. Uh. <laughs> like,
1: dude, I'm done, man. <laughs> cause it, cause it makes you feel like everybody's this way. Right. Right. Yeah. Lost in that. I mean, Eric and I, Eric can tell you, and we've been friends for such a long time and he knows that I've been building a, a business, um, and and networking for two years to get out of a company that I was in. And I eventually ended up getting fired from. And when they fired me, it was so funny because I I had beers with the CEO two weeks prior and said I was doing a great job. And I literally looked at him and I'm like, bro, something, you know, I can smell blood in the water. You know, if I'm not doing a good job, tell me what I need to do. No, you're doing great. You're doing great, man. I really appreciate you. And then two weeks later I got fired. And even right after I got beers with that guy, I called Eric and I was like, dude, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to fire me. I I know they're going to fire me. And but here's the thing culturally it was a good thing that they did because you know they went to a different direction and um I was not a good fit and it just made sense but I knew I didn't fit the day I got there. Yeah. You know um the day I got there when I started looking around and seeing how things were going and then like you said it just the bigger that we got the more south things start and you start to implode and there's this shift in management all the time. And it stresses everybody sure. else because they never know when their head is on the chopping block. And 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 inevitably, they're taught, these business people are taught, okay, when we fire someone, we don't let them know anything until that day. Well, a guy like me, <laughs> who already knows body language, already knows what you're saying, knows the lies behind what you're saying, who's been a little longer in the truth, tooth, you know, for those people who know me, I've done drug addiction counseling, I've council people coming out of prison. I mean, there's people that I had to learn their tells to make sure that I knew <clears throat> what they were telling me was a lie because I had a report to somebody, you know, right. and, and a lot was resting on that. And so I knew, Eric knew, um, my wife knew back in January. They fired me in June in January of January that year. I said, look, they are making plans right now to move me. I already know it's been going on. It's, I can't believe I haven't been gone before that. So I was lucky to make that transition and you had savings, but there's a lot of people out there that just don't. And that is why I'm telling you guys right now, if you're listening to this and you're in a culturally sour situation, you have other people that are okay with it, but you feel like you're the unicorn and you're going, does n- nobody else see this as insane? I encourage you to get on things like Clubhouse and LinkedIn and network like your life depends on it. Right. And do your homework before you go into the next situation. So when Sweetwater Carrie hit you up, did you just jump on it or did you research? The, well, the,
2: the story's great, you know, and it's funny that you're you're uh, saying that because talking about networking and everything, you know, I'd said earlier, you know, my industry that I'm in, it's not a huge industry. And especially for as long as I've been there, you know, been in that industry, you you know, people, you know, and I've always valued those relationships and I've always been a believer of, uh, never burning bridges, you know, separating emotion from things and just doing what makes sense and always just trying to be good first and, you know, seek to understand first so that, you know, you can keep those relationships. But, uh, you know, I, I feel very, very fortunate, um, you know, uh, over the years, I, I felt like I made enough good relationships where I used to work with folks that uh, were peers of mine, and also people that worked for me. Mm-hmm. You know that they had uh, left and found their way to Sweetwater, and so there was always somebody there at Sweetwater that was kind of, "Hey, Carrie, you know, we're out here," and yeah. I'm like, "Yeah, Fort Wayne, I don't have any doing do that, right?" so uh one of my my closest best friends uh used to work for me in uh, new england uh then he left and promoted and was doing well he was in new york city and then uh similar to you know my situation a feeling like he was out of alignment with the culture and uh, you know wanting to be closer to family um you know he had a friend that worked at sweetwater and so he found his way out here and um this guy, he's he's kind of like a brother to me. So, we've always stayed in touch. Anytime he's come out to visit, he stays at our house, that kind of a thing. And so, we were planning a trip uh, for him to come out, uh, you know, for the first time that year. This was, uh, I think, a little over three years ago now. And uh, instead of flying, because I, I was talking to him and I said, well, just let me know, you know, when you fly in, I'll come to the airport and pick you up. And he goes, I'm actually going to drive. And I'm like, you're crazy. You're driving from Fort <laughs> Wayne to New England? And he's like, Yeah, I'm going to go to New York, see some friends. So I was like, All right, well, you know, then um, how about I fly out there and uh, meet with you? And then we'll drive out together, have a good bro road trip.
1: Oh, uh, awesome. Eric and I have always like, We got to do a bro road trip. Right. Right. (laughs) Well, so uh, it worked out to where instead of
2: me flying out to drive back to New England, he drove down to New York, then came up to New England, stayed with me for a few days, then we drove back to Fort Wayne. And then I was going to fly back home. And um, I was kind of excited about that because he had been talking about Sweetwater to me for a few years at that point. And, uh, you know, I've always been fascinated with Sweetwater because I remember back in, uh, gosh, had to be very like 2001, 2002, you know, I was uh, getting frustrated because I had folks working for me that were needing approval on massive uh, system design discounts because Sweetwater somehow was giving them this great deal in this great- <laughs> ah, Sweetwater. Ah. So, let me see what's going on out there. And I had some uh, good friends from the industry that were there. So, you know, I called them out ahead of time and said, Hey, I'm going to come out here and visit. It'd be cool if we eat lunch or something. So, uh, Sweetwater being Sweetwater, you know, they've, they've always been very uh, hospitable and, um, you know, there was, a huge open door to come check it out. So, I uh, came out just to visit. I spent almost all day touring the campus and the building and everything. And 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 here's the thing: I'll tell you that was the most uh, significant impression I took from that visit. And again, I have to say, I was there with zero intentions of looking for work or anything like that. I just wanted to go see some friends. But the minute you walk in that building, you feel You know, a culture, a spirit that's just welcoming. There's peace there. Uh, And, you know, you just everybody's smiling. It doesn't matter who they are. Uh, Steve Ferguson, who's one of the head custodians on the sales floor, custodian is salt of the earth, nicest guy you'll ever meet in the world. And every single time I see him, no matter what's going on or what kind of bad news I may have gotten, He always says, hey, Kerry, how's it going, man? Magnificent Monday, terrific (laughs) Tuesday, wonderful Wednesday, you know, and it's that kind of stuff that you see when you go in there and you experience that you're just like, wow. You know, it changes who you are, you know, no matter what baggage you bring with you, you can't help, but some of that just get lifted off and it makes it easier to enjoy yourself. So I experienced that on that day when I went there. And then, uh, you know, after having spent all day there, you know, some uh, uh, some guys that I know uh, that, are, that do the same thing I do, you know, that are sales managers there for the uh, sales floor. Uh, you know, we were talking and they said, hey, figure it out and get here. Do whatever <laughs> it takes and get here. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You know, we own our home in New Hampshire. We're really happy there. It's beautiful there. This looks like a bunch of cornfields. and <laughs> man, It looks like Fort it- Wayne. Right. (laughs) And uh, they they are like, you don't know, man. Yeah. Figure it out and get here. And I'm like, yeah. Okay. So what was really awesome is, uh, you know, I had planned to go visit Sweetwater for get an hour tour of the building with my friend, Tom, uh, have lunch with, uh, you know, some uh, friends that I'd known over the years and then call it a day. Uh, I ended up spending six hours there that day Um. and at the end of the day, they asked me, uh, Carrie, have you met Jeff Radke? And Jeff Radke's our chief sales officer. He's been with Chuck uh, running close to 30 years now. Oh, wow. And uh, he actually called on Chuck as uh, one of the manufacturer uh, uh, reps before that. So he and Chuck go way back. And, um, you know, so I was like, no, I, I, who's Jeff Radke? I don't know who this is. And they're like, well, why don't you come meet him? So, you know, chief sales officer of a now billion-dollar corporation still has an open door policy to a complete stranger and says, "Come on in. I heard you've been walking around today. I'd like to meet you." <laughs> and uh, it was funny. I remember one of the first things I said to him was, "Hey, this place is amazing." But just so that you know, I am not here fishing for you know a job or anything like that. But it certainly is nice to meet you. And we got to sit down and talk. And uh, when I told you I was jaded, I wanted to get out of the industry. And I was frustrated at that point. Uh, You know, talking to Jeff was just so refreshing because I realized that in the industry that I had become so disenfranchised with, you know, was a guy who was running a sales uh, organization that uh, just had this amazing culture, and there was just so much peace in what they were doing, and they were really prospering, and you could tell there was a lot of favor with what they were doing. I was like, wow, okay, Uh, I'm I'm coming from one end of a, of a perspective to a completely different paradigm and a completely different lens that, you know, things were happening there. So when Jeff and I sat down and talked, it was really refreshing. And I finally felt, wow, this is somebody that I can 100% feel in complete alignment with my core values, the things that are my principles, my convictions, and, and the things that I believe are doing the right thing. You know, one of the things that was a weird Uh, I guess, epiphany for me was it's really easy to say, uh, hey, just do the right thing. But when you've got everybody with a different opinion of what the right thing is, there can be chaos. Mm -hmm. And so if there's not unity of vision in an organization, if there's not clarity of what the common goal is, and if everybody's not aligned with the same principles, Mm -hmm. then doing the right thing can be a whole mess of things. But In Sweetwater, you could tell there was major clarity of vision. Everybody was on the same page. Everybody shared the same uh, principles and the core values that, uh, you know, make them what they are. And so because of that, you could see that it was really easy to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, when Jeff and I spoke about that, I was, okay. I probably should consider this and then he followed that up with hey if you do really want to consider this and <laughs> think about something seriously we'd love to fly you and your wife out and uh, whoa, whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, right. whoa, whoa. yeah you <laughs> and your wife because we want this to be a joint situation for both of
2: you right and that was huge you know i mean to to not just consider me but my entire family that was the first time i'd ever been in a position where you know, a potential employer was more interested in, you know, the entire family than they were just me and saying, you can figure it out. So,
1: I think that's history. So, you, how long have you been there now?
2: Uh, almost three years now. And and it's it seems like yesterday because of how fast things have been moving. So,
1: you, three years ago, and usually by, it's usually year uh, one and about a quarter where you start to, the unveiling starts happening in your own mind. Uh-huh. And you start to realize, hey, this is not what I thought it was. This is not what was pitched to me. So for you, how's it going? (laughs) Later.
2: Well, so uh, transparency, 100% from the get go, uh, you know, is what I experienced. And, um, you know, the crazy thing was I was given a lot of opportunity to just experience and just kind of soak in the culture yeah. Before I was unleashed to do things. And, you know, I believe, you know, as far as holding on to a culture uh and and you know what Chuck's vision is for sweetwater, one of the things that I thought was really impressive and a great experience was, hey, you know, it it's not it's not gonna work if we bring you in and just tell you what your duties are and set you loose. You have got to understand this culture inside and out and you really need to understand it. So we're more interested in you learning and uh, spending some time to get to know folks and that kind of a thing. So there was zero pressure on me to jump in with, you know, all right, hold the fire hose. Let's go. And, uh, you know, Sweetwater uh, has Sweetwater University for all of our sales engineers that work there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's like almost three months of a master's uh, level degree in, you know, all things music retail, but, you know, just from the knowledge of the equipment that we sell, but also culturally and sales training and everything. And I I saw Chuck doing a tour one day, uh, you know, touring some folks through there and talking about that. He stopped by where our classrooms are and he said, you know, It's not enough. We can't afford to let our sales engineers, you know, borrow that Sweetwater credibility. They have to be that credibility. So, that's why it's Mm -hmm. so important that we invest so much of them into them on the front end. And I experienced that too, you know, by having that time to really get to know it and understand it. And I think that's valuable because a lot of times people will go into a new organization or a new position, you know, guns a-blazing. I've got all these great ideas. I'm going to do all these great things. And they might be wonderful ideas, but, you know, it's it can be completely out of alignment with a direction or a
1: strategy, you know. So. It shows, and one of the things that I hate about that, it shows the difference between actually onboarding someone properly mm-hmm. and, and like they're doing to you, letting you be immersed in the culture. And mm-hmm. I, I was part of an organization where a major shift happened in leadership, and they brought a, a young man on who done all kinds of things. Harvard educated great guy. And we're at a dinner in San Jose. And um, I'll never forget him talking about tiered leadership. We need to do tiered leadership. And I created something called tiered leadership for businesses that I was trying to implement at that time. So my boss had talked to him about tiered. And so he was just replicating what he'd heard. He had no idea what he's talking. And everybody at the table later came to me and was like, I hate this guy. (laughs) he was a great guy though and the thing that sucked was he's a good dude and he had but what they wanted him to do was come in guns a-blazing and it really caused a major hiccup and shift and it caused problems for him too and they weren't setting him up for success and I watched him fail miserably and none of it was his fault and we forget that as organizational leaders or leaders period it's like when we want someone just to go in there and just go balls out, we are actually throwing something into our own stream that's causing a ripple effect. And it can be great, but it also can be very corrosive. And so, you know, we're hitting that, you know, we're a little over 30 minutes now. And one of the things that I just really want to hit on today is if you're a business leader today and you're in a place where you feel like, hey, man, culturally, I'm looking at our organization is just horrible because everybody's telling me that it's horrible. Here's a company that takes a guy who is a heavy hitter in the industry. Everybody knows, brings him on, brings carry on and says, look, I don't want you doing anything. I want you to absorb the culture. I want you to understand the people. I want you to understand the mission that we have at hand here because what you can do is very detrimental to what we have and it's precious. So don't think you can't do this. For those of you who've got safety people right now and you're seeing them as overhead." You're killing your culture if you don't allow those people to immerse themselves in a the culture and help change a culture. If you have people coming in your organization and you want them to do great things, first let them find out about current states of your culture before you go setting them into it because it can completely derail your culture existing if it's good. But if it's bad, take lessons from Sweetwater. Take <laughs> lessons from Gary right now who's saying, look. Yeah. I moved across the country for this place. I was very unsure. And the first thing they said was, we want you to absorb it. And so, Harry, do you feel like that you just kind of started naturally doing your job? Yeah, very
2: much so. Because uh, one of the things that was really refreshing was uh, finding out that one of the courses that we take in Sweetwater University is uh, a full course on uh, Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeff Radke, our chief sales officer, teaches that class. And uh, so we basically study the book and the principles that are in there. And, uh, you know, it was really funny and looking back on it, you know, what I was being taught by uh, starting and just being immersed in the culture is, you know, for me to be a more effective leader, I needed to seek first to understand. And by doing that, really understanding the people in the building and that were on my team, then I was able to be understood when I presented ideas. And I could present my ideas with, you know, a a basis of understanding what was actually happening there. So it helped me have credibility. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I'm just grateful for that model that was there. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was it was awesome to be able to do that. And what was really fun was it empowered me to then have those ideas and those things that maybe we can do differently or improve upon because I was. I was able to talk about them with with uh, credibility, having uh, spent the time to understand the business and things like that. And uh, because of coming from it, from that angle, you know, I had way more ownership in the things that I was doing, which gave me uh, more, uh, I felt more empowered to do those things and, and uh, you know, stick to them, see them through. And so, You know, unbeknownst to me, I was put in a position where just through the culture and the process, you know, it enabled me to be an even more powerful leader than I even thought I could be uh, and in a much faster time than what you might see, you know, in other organizations. So, I mean, by and large, it's been an amazing experience. And now looking back on it. Man, I'm glad I live in Fort Wayne. It's a great <laughs> city, great people, you know, and it's really funny how, you know, when your head's in a good place and, you, and you've got good culture around you, it makes it a lot easier to enjoy your surroundings.
1: Yeah, that's so powerful. So what would you say, Carrie, to that person right now who's listening to you and going, man, I hate this guy. I hate sweet water. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this could not be further from the absolute toilet that I'm working in right now and the right. despair. What would you say to that person right now about the situation they are in?
2: Uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I think the most important thing an individual can do is, is take the time to recognize that if you don't have it all figured out, it's okay. As soon as you get to the point where you realize that you're not there and you haven't arrived is when you become teachable. And as soon as you let that happen, you know, you can start to grow and you can start to expand your horizons and create opportunities. So I really think a lot of people just get too much in their head. Uh, You know, there's, there's another book that uh, required reading customer centered selling, you know, uh, you know, Sweetwater for us as managers, and um, it talks about the uh, four competency levels. And what cracked me up is when I started reading this book, uh, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, mind blown. This is stuff that my dad was telling me when I was a you know, teenager, (laughs) but it's it's that uh, unconscious incompetent, you know, somebody who's not even aware of their shortcomings. And then when you become conscious of those incompetencies, that's kind of when the light goes off and you can start to grow. And when you start to hone that craft, you become a conscious competent. And uh, you're mindful of those things. And then, you know, you keep working at it and improving your process and then you can become unconsciously competent. You don't even think about it. You do it naturally. And I think a big mistake that leaders have, and I think people, you know, in organizations always have to remember is that when you get to that point where you're firing on all cylinders, you're on autopilot. So many people stop innovating and they stop, you know, seeking to grow more and learn more because like, nope, we've got it all figured out. But you have to, I I feel like we always have, where am I an unconscious incompetent? Mm -hmm. Where, Where are the opportunities that I have to learn and grow and how can I continue to evolve? And it really starts with the individual. You know, I love the saying, how did I let that happen? You know, anytime there's problems, it's really easy to get on a witch hunt you know, start, oh,
1: you know what I mean? That's a whole nother podcast right there. Ownership, big fan of Jocko Willink and yeah, and stream ownership books and dichotomy of leadership. Uh, mm-hmm. th- that's a, whole but that's,
2: you know, run. yeah. Mm-hmm. Starting there with, you know, how did I let this happen? But, but for me, that was a big part of it is, is, uh, you know, understanding that we all have opportunity to improve and it doesn't mean that you are a bad person or have problems but that's what I would tell anybody that's in a position where they feel they're in a rut or a place that they're stuck in this, you know, this culture sucks. And I'm just so frustrated here. It's like, all right, start with asking yourself, how did I let this happen?
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, and then go from there, you know, there's, there's endless possibilities. And uh, you know, there's, there's, it's not finite, you know, we live in an infinite you know universe and there's always infinite possibilities. You just have to, Search for them and know that, you know, uh, no matter what obstacles are out there, you can overcome that. You just have to, you know, get past yourself.
1: You, right. know? you know, I'm very grateful for all the places that I've worked in my lifetime. Uh, my last employee, I'm very grateful they taught me so much, um, a lot of which they taught me what not to do. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of which they confirmed what not to do. And then a lot of things they did wonderfully. They, I mean, I feel like the place that I came from, they cornered the market on a lot of really wonderful things. And I'm just so grateful. So I stopped, you know, when I started there, I knew to stop blaming the organization and start learning, start learning about myself, start growing, start accepting the fact that I'm in this place out of a culmination of decisions that I made. And nobody here is at to blame. So I don't hate the CEO. I don't hate the president. They're doing their thing, man. And they're trying, you know, They're trying. They've got so many irons in the fire. They've got so much pressure on them. Look, it's not their fault that I don't fit here because I can either choose to sell out and adapt or stick to my guns, network and get out and create something that's for myself that fits me in the culture that I desire. And so, man, I really appreciate Carrie, I don't think this is the last podcast for us. You know, <laughs> I think that we could, Eric, I don't know, bud, because I think there's a lot more that we can talk about as far as personal growth. Sure. Set yourself up to prepare to make that transition, because mm-hmm. obviously there was a whole nother world of preparation that it took you to accept. Yes, I can do this Sweetwater thing. It's no small thing to move across a country with wife and kids in tow. Having a home of your own. I know that I've been offered jobs all over the world. And, and because we're hooked up and connected to where we're at, it's been very difficult to make those decisions. And so we created Bowman legacy so we could have something that's here. And, and so that was bold, you know what I mean? And so I just really appreciate your time as always, Eric, I love you.
0: I love you, brother. <laughs> so good.
1: So we're going to wrap this one up. We went kind of long, but guys, I hope you see all the nuggets of truth here, man. And, you know, just to kind of, Do a holistic approach, man. Own you, own where you're at right now and understand that if you wanna expand your mind, you wanna expand your career possibilities, stop looking at all the problems and start focusing on answers for yourself of where you're at. Start growing you, start networking like mad crazy. Stop the blame game and stop burning bridges. And you will find avenues of networking you never thought possible. As always, we are brought to you by Bowman Legacies, making life better for the blue-collar person, one CEO at a time. Whether it's culture coaching or personal coaching, we are there for your needs. We're also brought to you by Grizz Waller, Western sci-fi author that is frankly, writing a book that I absolutely adore, and you will too, coming out hopefully this summer on Amazon. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the Bowman Legacies podcast. Please continue to build that legacy that will far surpass your legend.